My name is uh, Eric Ballard, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is May 18th, 2022. Um, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. I sponsor other men in the program. Uh, I have a home group, obviously, so anyone who's visiting, we meet every Tuesday and Thursday here. We'd love to have you back. Um, yeah, it's a great home group. So I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, four years after that, I moved to Texarkana, Texas. Four years after that, I moved to this little town in Maine. Um, and about four years after that, I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina. So for all intents and purposes, I consider Wilmington home. Um, and I you know, used to not think anything of that moving around when I was little, but since I've been sober and kind of reflected on everything, I, I realized uh, you know, that four-year phase of kind of uprooting and changing uh, everything about my life kind of followed through with me all through college and even up into my adult life. Um, I'm a middle child. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Uh, I definitely have middle child syndrome in the sense of just trying to be a peacemaker in the house. We were uh, an Irish Catholic household and I mean alcoholism definitely was was part of my family's history, but I, you know, my dad drank and I didn't really think much else other than that I had an alcoholic uncle who ended up helping me get sober many years later. But growing up, some of the first memories that I had um, were like some just drag out fights that my father would be picking like with myself or my mother, or sometimes with my brother. And, you know, I just remember thinking like how irrational he was about some of the things he I figured out kind of pieced it together when I got older but he, you know he'd have a bad day at work and he'd come home and he'd drink and he would pick a fight with someone in the family something that he felt like he could control and uh, there was nothing we could ever do about it and I remember learning that at such an early age that um, you know kind of what irrational anger looked like and sometimes they get you know they never really got like physical and I don't I never got like a whooping that I didn't deserve for sure but the uh, I, I remember like some of these just crazy fights and him just being beat red and yelling for hours on end and then you know it might move out into the yard and as soon as it would like a neighbor would pop up or a front door would open and uh, it just would immediately he would have a smile on his face and be greeting the neighbor acting like everything was fine and I didn't realize at the time but I kind of started learning that uh, it was more important to look okay than to actually take the action to be okay. And that mixed with trying to keep the peace as a middle child and, um, and moving around every four years, I just, I never really developed like a self-identity. I would, uh, I just learned to just make sure that like through words and through the way I presented myself was my ability to succeed in life. And I started doing it really early on. And every four years, I would, you know, get an entirely new friend group, pick up new hobbies, um, change of scenery kind of thing. And I just, all through childhood, kind of played the chameleon in terms of what, um, of, you know, who I was and what I was interested in. And all through college, or high school, rather, like I would, you know, I picked the sports that I thought would get me the, the fun friend group or, you know, the person I wanted to date. I would never really try hard at practice, um, but as long as I could, you know, wear the jersey on Friday, I was considered, I considered myself doing well. So I definitely developed the gift of gab pretty early on. And um, in high school, I remembered 
I started drinking like the first time I ever drank. I think I was like 11, and I was just by myself, and I just snuck some gin from my dad's cabinet, and like oddly enough, I mixed it with milk, but it wasn't. It had nothing. Had nothing to do with. It was just I had nothing else, and I didn't know any better. And I remember getting drunk and walking around my house at like 11 o'clock at night with no one to talk to. So I like went and tried to wake up my parents and like almost fell in the door <laughs> and like knocked on my and They were just like, go to sleep. I don't even think they noticed anything of it. But I, I didn't have that feeling of like all my fears and worries going away or, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I was a kid who got, you know, drunk for the first time. It was definitely enjoyable, but I didn't have that like, this is the this is what I want forever feeling that I hear a lot of people have um, in this program. And, you know, I didn't, growing up, I, I was familiar with alcoholism. I knew what it looked like and I knew the, the you know, how tragic it could, it could affect, you know, someone's individual life or the people around them. Um, but I didn't understand it in the sense where I just was like, the hangovers are too bad. Um, it's not even that fun to be blackout drunk. Uh, like I understood drug addiction like that looked like I was like, I mean, they're fun I can I can see how someone kind of get carried away with them But I really didn't understand the whole alcoholism aspect and I I was convinced early on that like I knew if if I did become an addict I, would, I was like I'll definitely kind of go heavy on my prescriptions or something. But I was like, but I'll never be an alcoholic so that That's how my mindset was in terms of using uh, like alcohol and drugs in an early age I I looked really young when I was a kid. I kind of have a baby face, and when I was like 16, I looked like I was eight. <laughs> but I had the fake ID out of my friend group, though, so I was the one who was always buying beer, and again, I kind of just linked alcohol to uh, like socializing, you know? Like if you're bringing the beer to the party, then it's, you know, it's a lot easier to make friends. And I would kind of just use that to, uh, to kind of just, again, present myself in this, this personality or uh, shell that I, you know, I thought that people wanted to see. And I, I got so good at it that I, I really didn't ever practice working on me or dealing with my own issues. So long before I would rely on booze to, to kind of, you know, make me feel better, I was, I was just doing it outwardly. And uh, I would, it's kind of hard to like I would when I was younger and I would be kind of like in a relationship or something I remember a lot like most of my girlfriends back then would say stuff like you just seem shady or you just seem <laughs> distant and it's it's because I didn't know who I was I mean it, I thought I was like the best boyfriend in the world the best friend in the world the best brother you know son but I never understood that, and so I think that when I would try to work on myself, it was again more like the image I'm projecting isn't really doing the things I wanted to do, and that was my whole uh, mindset in terms of how to you know self improve. So I ended up going uh, going to school up here in Raleigh after high school, and um, I took the easiest major I could and all the classes that seemed fun but nothing actually strenuous and uh even those classes i i just found myself like buddying up with the professor and talking my way into a passing grade more so than actually doing the work and some professors caught on especially a little later on um but then i would convince them that like hey i'm not going into your field like i really just need to get through this class to graduate and it worked like every single time and I, I, I didn't realize like the, the, 
I guess the, I didn't really realize how detrimental it was to my development at the time. And that's something that it took me getting sober to actually even look back and reflect on and kind of figure out, you know, because when you get up here and you speak, you kind of want to figure out like root causes and stuff like that. Because we're all, I mean, all the stories are fun and funny, but at the end of the day, like, you know, why, why are we all here? And so I, uh, in college would, um, kind of stuck with my friend group from Wilmington. There was a lot of us up here in Raleigh, so we didn't really have to kind of branch out. We kind of brought the party wherever we went. Um, my friends, a lot of them were, were severe drug addicts at an early age. I think before I even got to college, I, uh, I lost about 12 friends to overdoses. Wilmington was, was really bad back then. It kept me away from heroin because I knew that I would like it too much, but at the same time, like it, the mindset of the addict was still like rampant amongst my friends. And that was something I didn't even think to recognize until you know I got sober. But um, in college, I ended up, I think I was bartending while I was working, and I ended up picking up a second degree simply because there was a trip, like there was a, um, what is it called? A, uh, like there was a stipend that sent me to Costa Rica to study abroad. And so I, it was, part of it was like you had to take certain classes, but that's the only reason I did it. And I, I say that because I always just seemed to fall like face first into what looked like an upward trajectory of like my uh, growth and development. Um, after that, I just, I kind of fell in love with sales, naturally, because I didn't have any actual skill, but I could convince people, <laughs> I could convince people that I did, and uh, I ended up uh, graduating college, and I bartended for a while. Um, I didn't notice any crazy uptick in my, my drinking. I was prescribed Adderall really early on, and I definitely abused that. I kind of funded my college career with just having, you know, being able to sell it or whatnot, but it wasn't like, it wasn't out of control, or at least outwardly, because that was, I didn't realize how important that was to me, but I needed everyone to think that I was doing okay, because if they didn't, I didn't really have any, um, I didn't have any, like, way to register if I actually was okay. And it wasn't like I was doing the thing where, like, when I was by myself, I was miserable. I was, but it wasn't because I didn't have people, like, telling me I was doing well or anything. It's because I had no ability to self-regulate my emotions or um, even just the way that, you know, I would feel from, a, like, moment to moment. I had no way to kind of, like, release energy or to, to relieve stress or... Uh, no hobby to kind of put energy into to just you know being like this is whenever I'm stressed out I can go do this thing and it will make me feel a little bit better and then you know tomorrow will be better I didn't ever have that so whenever I kind of started feeling lost I would just look into other people to try to help them in my mind I was helping people by you know being the person that they wanted me to be and I had so many different friend groups that it, it never got boring because I could just go to any one of my friends and just kind of play the role of, you know, their personality. Um, so I got through college and I bartended for a little while. Um, bartending was awesome as a, you know, an, like a soon to be alcoholic who just liked to, you know, 
shoot the like shoot the crap with with other people so it was kind of being like a, a psychologist who got paid to drink that's like the way i looked at it from bartending. and i did really well with bartending it was like back when craft cocktails were first popping off so i was able to work at some really cool uh bars downtown and get to know a lot of people and a lot of a lot of the downtown raleigh scene back before it got super big and um i looked into actually opening up my own bar with a partner of mine from like we had managed some bars together and we got it all put together we, we put a business plan together and long story short the investor backed out like i don't know like three days before we were supposed to sign the lease so i was like taking a trip down to uh and again i had no way to deal with like loss like that i just i just knew it, it felt horrible so that same day um that I found out, I was like, I'm going to go down to Baldhead Island. Like, I had a buddy down there, and I was like, I'm just going to figure something else out, but I'm exhausted. I had some other, like, small gigs that I was trying to get up off the ground and bartending and, like, basically commuting back from Raleigh to Wilmington to try to do these other things I was doing. So I just took a little break, and literally on that ferry ride over to Baldhead, I got a call from a, a childhood friend of mine who worked for a good company. Um, he was like part of the talent acquisition team. Long story short, I fell face first into a job that sent me to Hawaii. I got to go and work in Hawaii for five years and I didn't think twice about it just because I'd never been and I was tired of doing like the startup thing. So I just went and took the job that sent me to Hawaii. So I ended up going down there and this was like a fresh start, right? Like this was the whole, it's been about four years. Uh, people are either tired of my crap or I'm getting bored just with the situation, so it was like a, a fresh start. And I got down there and I started out really strong with my, my job and you know, kind of getting established there. And uh, it didn't take very long before, uh, this was more drug use got involved in Hawaii, but not anything crazy. I just started relying on that to kind of deal with the stresses of work. And about two and a half years in, my manager was like, dude, what is, what is wrong with you? Like, I came out so strong, and this is what I always do every four years. I would come out really strong, have a lot of promise and potential, and then, you know, before I know it, like, I, I can't, like, talk my way into looking good anymore, and people are just looking at me because I'm failing to deliver, like, on every aspect of my life. And... Um, the other thing I think is just when I got really good, because in college I got really good at like talking to police officers and lawyers and even judges. And so I would rely on that kind of stuff to get me uh, to get me through work. And then every time, you know, it came to actually delivering something, I just I didn't have it in me. I didn't even know how to. I think that was the scariest part was I would find myself just to give you an idea of the mindset I'd be in. Like I would find myself stressed out but I felt like I was working my butt off and just doing everything I needed to do, but just not getting any of the benefits of hard work. And again, it just went back to like, I didn't do the simple things I needed to do for a job. I mean, I wasn't even going to work at this point and I didn't know why I was, you know, doing crappy at my job. But <laughs> it came to a point where uh, my manager was like, dude, you can either quit or I've got to fire you. And he was a good friend of mine. He still is. But he like literally I had to put him against a wall where he was just like, you can't just do whatever you want with work. And I was convinced it was the job or island fever, or, you know, just basically anything except the fact that I was just a terrible employee. 
Um, so I left, I came back to Raleigh, ended up opening that bar. And again, that was like another fresh start for me. But this is the first time that I realized that I was using alcohol to cope with just the, the ins and outs of, you know, daily living. Um, I would basically just, if I, I was try to get things going or try to, you know, even go hang out with friends or whatever, and I realized that I would just recluse because if I couldn't present myself in a way that, you know, you felt um, was a good light, or at least I thought that you felt was a good light, I just didn't want to be around anybody. And then when I didn't want to be around anybody and I was stuck in my own head, I would just drink and watch cartoons on my phone. Like, that's all I would do. And, uh, and I did that a lot, like a lot, a lot. Like, I would just basically spend day in, day out, laying in bed, drinking, and, uh, and watching, like, Family Guy on my phone. And because it was like a mental bubble gum, like I didn't have to think and it kind of just allowed me to pass out, wake up and repeat. And uh, as I was like, that's like, as I was doing that, um, I think I decided one day, because I was still like in my early, like mid 20s. And I decided to just, uh, that I needed to, I needed to do something different, right? It gotten old, like the guy that I was living with, who was an extreme alcoholic, was telling me that I drank too much and was depressing him. <laughs> And, and I, I didn't quite know what to do, so as, you know, an adult man, I went back and I lived with my parents. And uh, that old manager, this is probably about two years later, the old manager who fired me from Hawaii called me about a job opportunity with a new company that was opening up and they were hiring in my area. So I applied and like four months later, I fell face first into another like awesome job, like without any effort or me like trying to you know without deserving it whatsoever so I got this job and uh, I was back in Raleigh and I um, I had you know for the first time I had enough money to kind of live the way that I thought people lived at, at that age um, so I started you know I bought a car I, I built a house downtown and it was about two years and I was doing really really well with this company I got promoted a few times um, it was, again, sales, but it was also some marketing, and it was kind of a grassroots thing, a startup. So it was, you know, I felt, I felt good about it. It gave me kind of that, it made me feel like I was doing, like fighting a good fight, not working for a corporation. It just sort of aligned with my entrepreneurial vibes or whatever, because I clinged hard to those when I was younger because I didn't, I didn't have a personality of my own to cling on to. So I would try to think I was doing the right thing. And uh, so I... I started doing all these things and I, I literally took two years to build this house that like wasn't a dream home but it was definitely my it was something i was super proud of i'd never had a home um i never had you know lived without roommates or anything but like i hit that sweet spot of like starting to suck at work again and them seeing through you know the facade that i had put up and uh it was literally i think it was literally like the week i was going to close on that house uh, like I had gotten in an argument with my manager who was just mad, another good friend of mine, I was in his wedding, but he was just mad because I just wasn't going to work. Like I literally would not show up to work. And no matter what I said or anyone says, you can't defend that. Like you can't, you can't make that look okay, despite anything you say. And when I lost the power to talk my way out of things, you know, a harsh reality uh, hit, you know, it was like kind of a, having a light exposed on you that you, definitely don't want to see and I would um, I would 
recluse again and kind of just play. I, didn't, I never played the victim in my mind, but I kind of played and pretended like I didn't care. I think that that was my only saving grace in terms of like in completely in, imploding mentally was to pretend like I get it, but I don't care. And, um, and that drives people that you care about absolutely crazy. So that same week, I was supposed to close on my house that I had put a lot of effort and time and energy into building. I told my job to fire me and I stopped answering. Then, I, oh, right after I did that, I realized you have to have reportable income to close on a mortgage. So I didn't have that anymore, and I didn't know what to do. And I would get a couple calls from my loan officer, and uh, I tried finagling some stuff a few times. Like I was, my buddy was going to hire me onto a CPA firm just on paper and all this stuff. He was my accountant too, though. So he was like, "These are terrible ideas. <laughs> None of this is going to be good." And uh, I just said, screw it. And I stopped answering my loan officer's calls, stopped answering my real estate agent's calls. And I, uh, I just went and booked a, this is a couple months later, I booked a flight to like Ukraine and just decided I was gonna travel around Ukraine. Just completely terrible ideas. Like I had no good ideas. Now I was in Eastern Europe with no good ideas. And a friend and we were just traveling. We just spent weeks and months just traveling all over Ukraine. You know, that was, again, that outward image. Like, I felt like, hey, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm traveling the world. Things are fun. Um, but I, I literally started getting Russians telling me that I was an alcoholic. They were, they were blown away by how much I drank from, like, morning till night. And that was the first kind of rude awakening that, like, yeah, I don't have this under control at all. Um, spent a few months over there still and I didn't even have a phone so I wasn't like reach my poor family like I literally just told them like I know this looks terrible and I'm not doing anything I'm supposed to be doing and I'm kind of having a crisis but I'm gonna go to Ukraine and you're not gonna be able to contact me until I don't know when and I just left and uh, everyone's trying to talk me out of it and I'm still to this day glad that I did it because it, it led me to kind of my path to recovery but I uh, I remember being over there and at some point like I extended my flight a few times and like they were really loose on COVID restrictions there too so I didn't quite I had all these excuses as to why I was going to stay there a little bit longer and a little bit longer and then my friend over there she was just like you you kind of need to get your your act together like I can't like this the way you drink is like incomprehensible and hearing it in the Russian accent too just made it so much worse like it just it felt it felt really personal and uh, so I, I ended up flying back, and again, I, I probably went another, I don't know, six months without getting a job, and I knew I needed a job, and I knew, like, things were starting, bills were starting to pile up and stuff, and to the point where, like, I wasn't making them, like, I wasn't, I just wasn't paying for stuff, and uh, I'd like to say that, like, you know, I was at least trying, trying to apply for a job. I never applied for a single job. I never, there was maybe one that I tried to apply for but they just turned me down. I was really mad because I put effort into the, the application and, and the interviews and stuff, but I didn't apply for any jobs. And I, I expected, I was so sick that I was expecting things to work out like they had in the past. Like the repercussions of my actions were starting to get closer and closer together and it actually made them feel real instead of having that like, you know, every two years it starts to go downhill. By year four, I'm, you know, flat out on my butt and then a year after that, I've got an even bigger and better job or, you know, like a new friend group or whatever. So 
it wasn't happening this time. And it, it felt like mentally, the only way I knew how to explain it was like it felt, and it's so rudimentary, but it, it's just the way that I looked at it, was like if you, if there was like an alien sitting there playing all of us like individually with a controller, like they just put my controller down and walked away. Like just the, the non-playable character, whatever, getting hit by cars. Like I just felt like it was just getting destroyed no matter what I tried to do. And you know, when I look back now, I realize it's because I wasn't doing anything. And it seems super simple, and it was super simple, but I overcomplicated it so much that I thought that this was just how life was. Like, you, sometimes it doesn't work out for you, and sometimes despite, you know, your intentions, which I did have good intentions. I think we all have good intentions with, you You know, we talk to ourselves about it. But my actions were completely, you know, just off the rails. Like, there, there weren't, they were absent. There were no action. I would just sit there, and I would drink, and I'd watch, like, Family Guy or Bob's Burgers on my phone and wonder, like, why isn't life getting better? And I, I did it for an embarrassing long, embarrassingly uh, long amount of time. Like, I probably went a solid year of doing this, and I think at that point, like, you know what, my, like, my mom was so worried about me that I, like, she just, she tried to get me to start helping, like, her, she had a friend who worked on her porch or patio or something and the guy needed some part-time help and we were just like it was just kind of manual labor and I couldn't even do that like it turned out the guy was actually in recovery that I found like he was the first person I broke it down to or just admitted that I was an alcoholic to and he's like dude that makes so much sense he's like I thought you were just a dick <laughs> I thought you were just a bad person and so I think what in, I would spend my entire paycheck I you know I'd have to ask him to get paid early uh, he was, and he still, he paid in cash, but I've kind of hounded him like there was an issue with him paying me. He was like, dude, you're just, I can't pay you until you work. Like, it's kind of, it, you know, you got to show up and do that. And I really couldn't show up on time. It was like, I had to be there at like 10 a.m. and I would get there at like 1. And he'd be like, I'd work for a few hours and then I'd be like, I got to go, I got to go. And he would just be like, I, you know, whatever. I'd be like, can I get paid for today? And looking back, it's such a sketchy thing to do. Like, I totally can... It's like that thing when you first get sober and you can kind of see people who are still str like struggling with addiction but don't know it yet. Like I was a classic case of just an addict. And um, I remember at some point uh, my family was trying to persuade me to, to go to a rehab. But of course I didn't have a problem so I don't know what that would do. Um, I would, uh, they, I thought I was hiding the way I was drinking and uh, which I don't even know why I did. Like the back seat of my car was filled with empty pint bottles. Like, I mean, completely filled. Um, I'm talking like hundreds of them. It took me an hour and a half to clean it out when I finally did. And uh, I remember being home um, one night and my dad had come back. He, he commutes to Fayetteville or whatever. And uh, I remember just being on the front porch and being drunk enough that he could tell. And when I, like, he came and sat on the porch with me and, you know, kind of doing the whole, like, are you okay thing, and I would get defensive about that. And uh, he asked me, uh, you know, to come in and play, like, some gin rummy, and when I stood up, like, a pint bottle fell out of my pocket. And he was like, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do something about this. And I kind of, for the first time, realized, like, yeah, I absolutely do. Like, I would... I, I didn't, now that I look back on it, I can actually admit these things, but like I remember when I would either, like if I would run out of booze before the store would open the next day, I would drink vanilla extract. 
I didn't think it, like, I never did the mouthwash or anything like that, but vanilla extract's arguably way worse. Like, cause it's, <laughs> <laughs> so I would drink like bitters and stuff, just anything to kind of keep, uh, keep a buzz going. And I remember, uh, I remember one of the last days before I went into detox, you know, I, I was sitting there just fumbling through a hand of gin rummy with my dad, and I was able to, like, I finally felt the first hint of, like, honesty coming out. So instead of, like, hiding the bottle in my pocket, I would just put it on the table, and I realized that they were cool with it. Like, they knew it was going on, but, like, watching me kind of understand what was going on, too, I think was, was important to them, and it was certainly important to me, even though I didn't realize it at the time. And uh, one day, I woke up and my mom was like shoving a phone in my face and I was like what is this and she was like it's a, a detox center but they need like you to say that you want to go and I didn't quite understand what was going on I just remember feeling like I finally had had enough I didn't know what the solution was I had no tools to develop myself or to work on myself and the only thing I knew how to do was to to drink and disregard the bad feelings that I was dealing with on a daily basis so I figured, you know, if someone tells me this is going to work, I might as well give it a shot. And they drove me up to Fayetteville. I drank a little bit more that night or that, that morning on the way there, which they knew. And it felt so good to be, like, honest, like, with, especially with my father. I, he's the one who, you know, I'm not blaming him, but, like, in my mind, he was the one who taught me how to be deceptive. And so when he would call me out on my shit, like, I would li literally lose my mind. Like, it was just kind of one of those things that I got really, really defensive. But... On the ride up there, I remember him asking me, like, how much is a pint of early times? And I was like, $5.36. Like, I knew it to the T. And he was like, I believe that. So we drove, he drove me up to detox. Um, it was a horrible experience. Like, now I had nothing to, you know, no frame of reference for it. But, like, it reminded me of, like, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Dan DeVito and Jack Nicholson. People shuffling around in their, you know, in scrubs and them taking all the short, like the strings out of our shorts and we were on lockdown because it was COVID and nurses giving us pills with little, you know, with little cups with pills in them. And uh, I remember not knowing like how long I was supposed to be there, but thinking like, you know, at least I can give it a day. I'll just try it a day. And then 24 hours into it, um, I'm all like, you know, jacked up from the Ativan and whatever else they gave me. And I was like, this isn't hard. I don't know why people complain about this. So I can do this easily. This will be fine. I was like really cheery and optimistic about it. And then they, uh, they got, um, they got, I think two days went by and I couldn't use a phone, but I remember like calling my family being like, I'm good. I'm, I'm cured. You can bring me back now. And then being terrified because again, the uncle that helped me get sober, he went to a healing, it was called the healing place, but he went to the original location in Louisville. And so he, little did I know he was prepping my family all about like what this experience is really going to look like. So when I was naturally saying like, I'm good now, I just need to you know come back and I'll apply for jobs. And they wouldn't, my mom was terrified. She wouldn't answer the phone for like the first, I don't know, like eight hours the day I was supposed to get picked up. And I was convinced I was going to be stuck there forever. Like they locked us in so we couldn't even walk out. It was, it definitely scared me into realizing that this is, you know, this is something way more serious than I, I had realized, including like the physical, um, like a physical withdrawal from alcohol and actually seeing what that was like for the first time. And again, I didn't think it was all so bad, but I remember saying, like, I'm just going to come home and figure out where to go next. And they were talking about healing transitions. I did not know what that was. Um, 
no one could give me information on what that was. Google didn't tell me anything about it. No one really wanted to talk about it on the phone. And it seemed like people were intentionally not telling me what it was. And I get why now. I do understand why. But I ended up coming home because um, there was no beds available at HT. It was a COVID breakout or a, a breakout of COVID at HT. So they kind of locking on beds and stuff. So I ended up going back to my parents' house and waiting for a bed to open up. And it wasn't until I left the detox that I realized that I wanted to drink immediately. And that's when it actually scared me. It's like, it's, it, it shook me in a way that I wasn't expecting to be shook. I, uh, I knew that like I could physically, or like just mentally wrap my head around not drinking, but it was just everything I had in me was, uh, was to keep myself from drinking. All of my bandwidth during those days was literally just not about picking up and I think that's when I started to realize like okay this is this has to change or I'm gonna die and uh, I was waiting at home for a few days and I knew I needed to work and my family was trying to keep me from working mainly because they didn't want me to get any cash in my pocket and I understood that later as well but I ended up kind of helping that guy out with the patio some more and I found like uh, I'd probably been home a week and I noticed that the job site we were working on um, up in Hampstead, a little north of Wilmington, there was an ABC store like across the road from the neighborhood. And it just so happened that ABC store is the only one, it, as far as I know in North Carolina, it still opens up at 9.30. Um, one day, I, uh, right before I went to the job site, I, I grabbed another pint. And I think I took like, I drank like three or four swigs out of it. And I was just like, this is absolutely terrifying. Like I couldn't trust myself anymore. I couldn't trust any of my own like instinct. And I think that that was like when I really started to get scared because I didn't have a solution. My instincts were dead wrong. And, um, and it was showing everybody could see it. So I didn't even, I wasn't even doing a good job at, you know, projecting this person that I wanted to be. So I, Got home that evening, and I ended up saying, like, I need to get to HT, like, now. And so it turned out, like, within a day, a bed had opened up, and so I got driven up and dropped off at HT. And uh, I'm really glad that the first experience of, like, a rehab was at, like, one of the worst places and experiences you could possibly imagine, because that's exactly what I needed to, to kind of kick, you know, to really understand how how severe of a problem it is. I mean, it is life or death. It sounds, you know, super, super drastic, but it, it really is. So I'm at HT. Um, they made me re-detox there for a couple days, even though I, you know, I guess it was, I think they kind of figured out that I had drank. So maybe that's why. I don't know. It's a really blurry. But I thought the detox was like one of the worst, most disgusting places I'd ever been. And, uh, and then I got led into the shelter, and I was <laughs> severely disappointed with the living conditions. <laughs> and uh, I was sleeping on the floor. I met, you know, a few people there that, that helped carry me through. But I, I realized, like, I don't, no matter what it takes, I do not want to go through this again. Like, I just do not, I don't have it in me. I don't have the ability to kind of deal with all this again. And I don't have the soul-crushing feeling of... Uh, wasting more time, you know, at that time I was 35 years old, like more time just trying to get sober. So I was actually done, and I was very confident about that. Um, 
stayed at HT for about six months. Uh, I got kicked out. I was actually kicked out of two rehabs as in sobriety. Stayed sober both times, but I still got kicked out of, of two different rehabs for not following rules. Um, but I, you know, I got a sponsor. I did everything they told us to do. I went to meetings, and I didn't understand any of it. Like, I didn't understand how... Um, the thing that I really didn't understand when I was looking at the book the first time was working with others. I, I don't know why. I liked helping other people. I liked because it made me look good, right? It made me feel okay, and I didn't have to do anything on myself. But I did not understand how working with others was going to be, you know, useful to my sobriety, let alone, like, pivotal for it. Um, so I got a sponsor early on. We started meeting once a week. And I really just gave it time. I gave myself time to, uh, to kind of be patient with myself, um, to kind of let my body readjust and my mental, like my brain chemistry to get back on track because the only thing I knew for sure was that my, I had no chance of like thinking logically because my brain chemistry was so far out of whack. And um, you know, that came in different forms. It came in anxiety, it came in depression. Um, but luckily at HT, you don't have time to like really care or think about that stuff because you're getting yelled at or you know walking somewhere, or just overall being something, you know, doing something of the homeless variety. So I uh, I ended up staying at HT for about six months, and slowly but surely, like my mind started coming back. I um, I started having faith that. that there was a way to get sober, and I didn't doubt that it was, you know, a lot of times I feel like people look and they're like, I know you can get sober, but there's gotta be a better way than AA. Like, I didn't have any other options. Like, I didn't know if there was a better way, I did not have the time to figure it out or to look through it or to dissect it or be over-philosophical about it. And, uh, and so I just took the suggestions that were given to me. And when I started doing that, I realized that I had no self-discipline. And this was the first time I'd really ever worked on self-discipline. Um, it was the first time I ever reevaluated my wife, my life. There's a, a cool, like, uh, there's a Greek philosophical quote that says, like, a life unexamined is not worth living. And that always stuck with me because as I started to get sober, my brain started to clear up. I realized that the only control I could have was by looking back on the, the things I had been doing and seeing kind of where they led me. And... Uh, as I started doing that with, you know, compassion towards myself, I basically started to figure out that it's really not that difficult to get sober. Um, to stay sober and happy takes effort, though, and I think that that's what I was really attracted to uh, through AA. I was, um, I was convinced that, you know, if I drank again, I would die, and if I didn't die, I would surely want to. So. For the first time, again, I just started kind of paying attention to what was going on in my own head. And, you know, I found a, um, a spiritual discipline that really aligned with the, the way that I see the world. And I get to kind of stay in touch with the higher power there. And I, you know, the idea of like, it was, you got to find a higher power. Like, I'd always had one. I'd always considered myself spiritual. I just had no idea how to interact with it. And that was something that I learned through self-discipline. Like... I got really into the meditating, uh, like Dharma and stuff while I was at HT, and I got exposed to a lot of different forms of um, recovery, and I got exposed to a lot of different walks of life from the people I was there with. And, you know, they say look for the similarities, not the differences. Like, it was really easy to see um, 
that all of us were kind of going after the same thing. And it really gave me the confidence to continue to pursue uh, some of the things that I needed to in the steps. Um, I kept working with my sponsor, um, took a, a, you know, a good moral inventory. And even though I didn't quite understand what I was doing, um, I started seeing the results of completing the steps. My life started to get better. Uh, I no longer, you know, looked at, I felt better for starters because I wasn't hungover or, you know, withdrawing or feeling like I still had that like crippling guilt of like looking really bad, like on the outside because I didn't know, you know, again, I still like the gig was, uh, the jig was up in terms of like, you know, presenting myself a certain way. At this point, everybody knew that I was living in a homeless shelter and it was kind of a bitter pill to swallow, but it was 100% necessary. Uh, the humility I received from there, the self-discipline I received from there, like it's to this day, it'll always hold like a, a really important um, spot in my, in my life. So now today, um, you know, I sponsor other men. I, I'm ecstatic to wake up in the morning. Like life is not always easy, but uh, you know, I don't rely on anybody or anything else to kind of regulate my internal mood. Um, I'm able to, like, I don't have any expectations on other people. I just, I, the only expectations I have in life are for myself. And if I follow the simple steps and the simple, the simple, um, suggestions of Alcoholics Anonymous, like I can handle any difficulty that's thrown my way. Uh, the best way I, I've been able to explain it is like, it feels like being a kid again when you wake up and every day is full of possibilities. And even if you kind of stumble across a bad day it really isn't that bad you're just like I don't want to do that again and so that's kind of the, the mindset I've had that um, I've discovered you know through through AA and it's been awesome to help other men through the program I think that that's really when it got serious for me I know where's Trey Trey said that one time that you know the um, recovery really starts after you start making amends and I totally, I can totally relate to that because I think as soon as I started telling people like, yeah, I know I look as bad as you've always thought I looked and I'm, you know, I'm aware of it, you know, I'm sorry for it. It really kind of, you know, it really brought home the fact that like, this is who I am now and the only thing I can do about it is to be a better person moving forward. And so helping other guys through the, the steps is, is a great honor. And uh, more importantly, I totally understand working with others I didn't, you know, before I kind of always assumed I'd be a burden, you know, in the beginning, you don't, you know, I don't want to call this guy every day, like I have nothing to say, he can't really be, he's kind of, I don't need to rely on him. And, you know, now I totally get the idea of like helping others is really our, our purpose here on earth. If we're going to sit there and, and actually be good people in a good community, I mean, we have to, to help each other out because we can't be stuck in our own heads. Um, we can't be looking to, to push other people down. I mean, that's just not a... a successful recipe for you know healthy growth and development so I still have a lot of questions about like how to get through life um, however you know if I if I just practice simplicity compassion and patience with myself everything works out and to have the patience to let things unfold naturally uh, is a huge blessing that I, I did not previously possess um, it's 
it, it's it's just night and day difference. And I remember first getting sober and hearing people kind of say these things. And I also didn't like A at first because I hate cliches and like one-liners. And that's basically all we are when we're talking. <laughs> but they're true. I mean, that's the thing. And that's what makes a cliche annoying is it's still true. Um, and so I think that the person I am today... Uh, is the same person I've always been, but I'm more like intimately familiar with who I actually am, my desires as a person, the things I want out of life, the things that make me happy and the things that make me upset. And better than anything else, like I know how to, to handle things. I know how to fix that feeling of anxiety or this isn't feeling good. Like I can finally say like I've got little tips and tricks to get through a rough day or an emotional, you know, an emotional catastrophe because like I'm not a slave to my emotions anymore that's what used to drive me was like if I felt bad that's it we're gonna feel bad for a while um, unless I you know until we can drink it away but now I kind of use my emotions as a compass to get through uh, life and figure out things that I do like don't like and you know ways that I can help people and I think that helping people just keeps me out of my head and allows me to, to kind of get back and um, that's why I'm standing up here. I hate doing this just because I don't like talking about myself for this long, especially, but I do it because it's suggested now call it's anonymous to, to help somebody who you might be uniquely qualified to help. And this is the way we kind of have to do it after you get sober. So, um, thank you for letting me speak to you. I appreciate it and have a good night.